think um, that shark nets are a barrier and keep and keep sharks away from beaches or that no, people don't really understand what it is but it is by every definition a cull and, and the government don't like calling it that, that because that obviously wouldn't be a, a popular name to, to admit you've got an 83 year culling program but it is shark nets are a fishing net they're there to catch trap and kill sharks they kill a lot of other stuff too i'm sure we'll get in that's Andre Burrell describing Australia's 83-year-old shark killing program that he and many others have dedicated themselves to stopping with their new movie, Envoy Cole. More from Andre and co-star Madison Stewart about saving sharks today on this Ocean Life podcast. For over 80 years, the Australian government has supported the killing of sharks along popular Queensland and New South Wales beaches through nets and baited hooks under the guise of public safety. Today, we hear the truth behind the senseless culling of sharks that not only kills other animals such as whales, dolphins, and rays, but also has zero proof of positive impact on human safety in the water. Today, Andre Burrell, director and producer, with Madison Stewart, shark conservationist and co-star, take us through the history and horrors of the Australian shark culling program and how they have came together with many others to create this amazing movie that has a sole purpose of ending this 83-year government program. In this, we have epic stories of bravery and passion for the ocean with tales of following an undeniable calling in life that some like Andre and Maddie are fortunate to realize. Now, my main goal with this Ocean Life podcast is to spread the word of people like Andre and Maddie and many other guests on the show who work so hard to protect our ocean. The more people who hear their stories, the more people will have contributing to the cause and making a positive change. Now, you can help with this by following this Ocean Life in your podcast app, referring a friend to check it out, or visiting my Patreon page at patreon.com slash thisoceanlifepodcast and pledging a few bucks to help grow the platform and broadcast these amazing stories even further. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. So let's start with just kind of basic intros. I'd love to hear, you know, Andre, talk, like, just a quick background, what your part of, of this documentary is. Give us like the, the quick what it is, why you're doing it. And then I'd love to shift over to Maddie too and talk about kind of her involvement as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I, I wanted to put together a film on this topic because I stumbled across it on social media a few years ago now and uh, I just couldn't believe that in a developed country, uh, allegedly civilised country uh, like Australia, that, that we cull sharks and when it's wildly disproven to keep people safe, which is, which is their alleged reason for doing it. And I saw it on social media and I saw a little bit of noise about it, uh, but, but not that much. And... I just couldn't believe it. I got more and more and more frustrated and, uh, yeah, decided to make a film about it. So um, I am a business guy really uh, or was before this project. Uh, since, I, since I finished school, I pretty much uh, owned businesses and started businesses and um, this kind of inspired me to start a video production company. Uh, we do other work as well, uh, which uh, which pays the bills. But I really started it to do passion projects, and and this is a huge passion project for me. So uh, that's essentially how I stumbled across it on social media. Um, got quite engaged by it. Couldn't believe it was going on, and wanted to do something about it. That's awesome, man. I love the passion part. I mean, and I know Maddie, you're very similar with your own stuff as well. So then, Maddie, for you, I mean, your your involvement in the project, uh, and then also your background with sharks and everything. Yeah. Um, 
So I have no like official training or anything or title. I started diving with sharks when I was really, really young. I just grew up with a family that was really into the ocean. And it's what I wanted to do was like documentary filmmaking. And I loved taking videos underwater. And I just grew up diving and always in the ocean. And then when I was about 14 years old, I began to notice a significant decline of shark numbers in certain areas of the Great Barrier Reef where I grew up diving which kind of skyrocketed me into my very first ever conservation attempt. And since then, it's just basically been the path that I've been on. Um, and I think it, I just want to point out how cool it is that people like myself connect with people like Andre, because coming from a professional background in having like um, a production company and that kind of thing and taking on an issue that, has for so long plagued the minds of so many conservationists and being able to bring his professional side to it has been really, really cool. So that's something I love about um, those two worlds clashing because conservation is an amazing thing, but we often need help from that side of things. So it's a really unique thing that's going on here. Yeah, hundred percent. It's true. It's like you could have all the passion and, you know, get out in the water and do neat things for the, for the wild, but to then expose it, to bring it to everyday life, everyday people to help to get them inspired and involved. Like you said, it's that synergy between what you guys are doing is so, so special. So what, one of the things that kind of sent shivers down my bones, is that the way I say it? Last <laughs> night when I was looking yeah, at this was like the, the definition of coal and coal, you know, C-U-L-L. So give us a definition of coal and then take that into what's happening and what has happened for almost 83 years now around sharks in Australia. Sure. So uh, this might not be word for word dic uh, dictionary um, definition, but it's essentially culling is the selective slaughter of an animal to reduce its population with the intent to reduce its population. Now, a lot of people don't think that or don't realize that the shark control program or the beta protection program, as they call it in the two different states, is a cull. They think um, that shark nets are a barrier and keep and keep sharks away from beaches. Or that. No, people don't really understand what it is, but it is by every definition a cull. And, and the government don't like calling it that, that because that obviously wouldn't be a uh, a popular name to, to admit you've got an an eighty three year culling program. But it is. Shark nets are a fishing net. They're there to catch trap and kill sharks. They kill a lot of other stuff too. I'm sure we'll get into that. And drum lines are a baited hook. They're a fishing hook. They're there to catch sharks and they either die on the line or the contractor who's responsible for, uh, for, for monitoring that comes along, pulls them onto the boat and shoots them in the head. So it, it is a cull and it, 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 there, there is no other way to describe it. I, I wish there was a little bit more honesty around the, the definitions in these programs. And uh, yeah, in terms of how long it's been going on for, the second part of your question, uh, 1935, it started as a two-year trial in New South Wales. Uh, 1937, it became an official program. So um, our 83-year uh, count basically starts when it became official. And uh, basically since then, there hasn't been a day where we aren't actively culling uh, on the east coast of Australia. So New South Wales started the program. Uh, they now actually take their nets uh, out of the water during whale season, but Queensland don't. So basically, um, if you treat the two programs as one, which they really are, they're, they're run by two different state governments, but, but the, the, the means and the methods are the same. 
if, if you look at them holistically as one program, uh, we have nonstop 365 days a year uh, for that period of time been culling sharks in Australia. Yeah, so gnarly. I mean, since 1935, I mean, that's just like in, to put that in time perspective, it's like two, almost three generations of, pe- of us people just basically, like you said, nets and hook and line, just getting rid of sharks. And so do you have any idea? I know you're, you're getting data from like FOIA type of information from the government, but how many animals that equals over the past 80, almost three years? Yeah, it's it's a it's a lot. Uh, it's a lot. So it depends whether you count whether you count bycatch or whether you just count sharks. They they try the tr- the government try and only release shark numbers because uh, the bycatch numbers, things like dolphins, turtles, whales, those sorts of things, uh, they're really really bad. So usually um, they publicly announce shark numbers because. Uh, some sections of the public don't mind sharks being killed, so that that, that information isn't as polarizing. Uh, and to, to give you an example, over the, just in Queensland, which started in 1962, um, just in Queensland, tiger sharks alone, it's over 13,000. Uh, and yeah, reef sharks, uh, reef sharks. There's heaps of them. Uh, great whites, which are obviously uh, in a bad, bad way, uh, population-wise, um, killed. Uh, between uh, between the two states it's uh, over a thousand of those it's um yeah it's it's crazy crazy numbers in terms of total numbers killed uh i think queensland alone is fifty thousand. new south wales has been running longer so it would be uh it would be more than that uh but yeah it's it's absolutely insane numbers and again that doesn't include bycatch that's that's sharks only Right. So the documentary that's in post-production now called Envoy. So Maddie, like, where do you come into the story here? I know, you know, um, Andre and team are basically really trying to bring this to light, expose this to the rest of the world, right? To hopefully inspire change by the, at the government level through all, you know, all of us, I think being involved. So where do you come in and kind of what's your part of this? So I think, first of all, I just want to point something out to anybody that's listening is that when we talk about all this stuff going on, the animals being killed and the shark nets in place, we're not talking about the middle of the ocean or something that's limited to scientists and divers. We're talking about a couple hundred metres off the shoreline of beaches that we frequent on a daily basis. So every single person has quite a connection to what's happening and therefore quite an impact to its continuation in the future. So it's very, very close to us. It's very close to home, which is really amazing that it's been able to be kept such a secret to the public because of that. But I just want everybody to like remember that it's so close to us. And I personally, I think I did my very first dive on the shark nets because I actually grew up on the Gold Coast in Australia when I was about 16 years old. I had a friend at a dive company that was really against the nets and he took me out on his boat and it was a horrible day. It was big swell. The water was green. We jumped in and I remember seeing the nets and just being kind of like in awe of, of how insane it was that something like that was off our coastline. And then we came across two stingrays that had died and we cut them out of the nets and it was it was really quite horrific. So since that day, I've been doing little bits here and there to attempt to expose what's going on. But it's been obviously a very difficult process because what a lot of people don't realise, people that fight for dolphins and whales and fish life, they don't realise that when it comes to fighting for sharks, you are basically, to the public's eye, fighting for an animal that kills people. 
and therefore you don't value human life. And when everybody has this mentality in their head that the shark nets are a good thing, it's a very difficult thing to stand up against them. So I've been very slowly and very silently trying to raise more awareness about it. And I guess that um, Andre noticed some of the stuff that I had done or some of the people that I've been associated with in the past and decided to bring me in on the project, um, which, you know, like a lot of people have made films about this. So at first I was just like, okay, it's going to be another film about it. And then, um, yeah, that's kind of how I, I got brought in. And what I've seen so far with what he's done with it has been really, really amazing. And I have really high hopes for this being something that really brings it to the public eye. Yeah. That's really interesting that you were 16 and you, you saw this firsthand. So before that day, before you jumped in and basically were there next to this net, seeing and seeing these two rays caught and killed, what was your perception as a local growing up on the beach of, of the nets out there before leading up to the time when you actually saw it firsthand? I mean, it was crazy to me because I travel around the world to film injustices occurring to sharks in third world countries. And I was witnessing the exact same thing where I grew up, you know? And it was even, it was really difficult for me as a child. I'll never forget going to school and having a petition that I had printed off and trying to get everybody to sign it. And the petition was to take the shark nets down. And everybody was so scared of sharks and so against it. At the end of the day, I ended up with two signatures. One was from a teacher that felt sorry for me. And the other was from a student that didn't speak English. So I'll never forget my first wonderful successful attempt at conservation. Woo! Um, so it's not only growing up in an environment where everybody is against you trying to remove the shark nets or understanding that they're not really, you know, effective, but you're growing up witnessing animals getting slaughtered. And then on the other hand, you've got the community in favour of it. So that was definitely, definitely the most difficult part of it and how I saw the situation. Yeah, I mean, what's what we if you take the 10,000 foot view, one way to look at the, what you guys are doing is you're trying to change human perspective, human perception or perspective of some issue at scale, which is so hard to do. And but it's I mean, it's so admirable what you are doing, because if people actually knew, right, what really was going on, you probably they'll change their 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 perspective. So Andre curious back in 1935, do you know, like what really spawned the first shark calling was it a couple attacks within a year. What 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 happened? You know, way back in the day, that kind of kicked this off. Yeah, in Sydney, particularly, uh, beach culture was really kicking off, uh, and there was some attacks. There's there's some reasons behind those attacks, uh, which I, I might let I might let Maddie go into. But yeah, there was a spate of attacks, and, and that sparked the start of this program. Much like in. Uh, in uh, uh, the 2010 to 2013 period, there was a spate of, uh, of bites in um, a spate of bites in Western Australia, and that that sparked the start of their cull, their failed cull that they abandoned plans for. So, uh, it's a similar start, but uh, being that Western Australia started to, tried to start this in 2014, there was global outrage about it. Given that New South Wales started this in 1937 and and Queensland started in 1962, there was no outrage, and now it's it's quite hard to stimulate outrage outrage for a program that's existed for 60 or 80 years. Uh, but yeah, in terms of the background behind the bites, I might uh, let Maddie go into that. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so there's lots of human factors, obviously population increase and there was also quite a lot of substantial evidence showing that our animal agriculture industries 
were leading to an increase in the tax. So that's another thing that's really important about this issue that we address is that instead of actually addressing what was causing the attacks, the government went straight to culling. And that kind of shows you our archaic approach to things. Um, same kind of thing with the cane toads, which are a huge issue here in Australia and introduced species. They were introduced by the government to eat the cane beetle, but they didn't realize they hunt at different times. So it's just another one of the many government mistakes towards our environment that we are now living with the consequences of instead of them addressing the real issue, which rarely happens with sharks because there's such a media hype and then all this pen, like pandemonium occurs. So I, I think it's also really important to remember that places like Hawaii, for example, Hawaii started a shark cull in the 1950s and that was because of all the tiger shark attacks. And then after not too long, they were like, oh my gosh, this is wrong. We can't do this. This isn't going to work and this is the wrong thing to do. And they ended it. And for such an ocean-based community as Hawaii, which still to this day frequents shark attacks, for them to make that decision and for us in Australia to still not have made a decision and to still be going with the shark control program, it really shows just how disconnected we are from the environment that we have here and from taking responsibility for being in the ocean. Yeah, true. I saw that about Hawaii. They, they called something like over 4,000 sharks and then which yeah. they saw really didn't do anything to reduce the tax. And so they pulled the plug on it. And so yeah. the theory is fewer sharks in the water, there's fewer sharks to attack people, right? But really that turns out to not be true, right? Even with fewer sharks swimming around. So what is it then about that disproves that just the theory of fewer sharks in the water equals fewer attacks? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to basically give you the unscientific opinion. Um, so one of the major reasons, well, the major reason that the government will tell you for having this shark control program in place is to cull the local population and to prevent sharks from creating home territories around where people swim. Now, this is an issue considering a lot of the species implicated with attacks on humans are migratory species. So it's impossible to cull a local population of great whites because they move. They're moving following cold water. They follow the whale migration up and down. And as well as that, they don't go in and out of the beach. They travel parallel to the beach. So it's kind of an insane system as soon as you look at that. <clears throat> the other thing which you immediately look at when it comes to shark nets is everybody's like, oh, they must work because there hasn't been an attack since they were in place, which is actually incorrect. There's been lots of attacks, but there haven't been any fatalities. And this has nothing to do with the placement of the shark control program equipment, but rather to do with the fact that every beach where there is a shark net, there is also lifeguards. So there is a quick access for the ambulance and there's a quick response from paramedics. So when you look at all the data behind it, their reasoning of stopping sharks, preventing home ranges and showing how much it's done so far is, is kind of empty. They don't have a justified reason for them being there. The, the claiming it works is just a political stunt. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. It's, it's the, exactly, they love trotting out that line that Maddie just referenced, that there's only been one fatality at a protected beach in each state, but there's been lots and lots and lots of bites, lots at, at protected beaches. And I know we're not on video and this is a podcast, but uh, I'm doing some air quote, quote marks there because protected is not, not the right not the right word at all. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's just, it's just politicians trying to, trying to claim credit for something that actually has, has zero to do with the shark control program. It, it has, it has to do with that we're more advanced in medical responses and all those things Maddie listed. The other way to look at this, 
uh, as well is that, and, and from what we've seen and what we've documented, the data I've seen, it's my firm belief this program actually makes beaches more dangerous. The amount of catch report data we have gone through and we've found comments, it's always what species was caught, how long was it, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's also a comments field. The amount of comments we've seen for, say, a black tip reef shark that's caught, the comment is bitten in half, bitten off behind the pectoral fins, only head remaining. That means a much larger animal has come along for an easy meal. I'm not sure that's something you want to be uh, doing is baiting larger sharks closer to shore by catching little sharks and dangling them on a hook for the next 12 hours, 24 hours, 36 hours, however long till the contractor can be bothered getting there. It's uh, it, it actually terrifies me. Like it, it really, really does. One of the most popular, um, one of the most popular surf spots, uh, snapper uh, on the on the Gold Coast. It it the the drum lines are literally just like right there, right off the back of the surf break, and it terrifies me. Like it genuine, it genuinely does. That's where we did our interview, um, Maddie, and and yeah, you you made a point of it at the time. That yeah, it's crazy. Wow, and so it's basically like a buffet line, right? The, the bycatch or even the, the animals that they're targeting get wrapped up in these nets or hooked. They're sitting there, they're dangling and other things come eat them, pull them in closer to people. So talk about like the bycatch, right? It's everything from like minke whales to dolphins, mantas, turtles, other sharks. I mean, describe like some of the common bycatch and some of the more, I mean, charismatic megafauna, some of the more charismatic ones that get wrapped up that really kind of, you know, are just hard to really see happen. Oh man, it's like an anti-tourism poster. Like it's crazy. I'll let Maddie answer yeah. first and then I'll talk about some of the stuff we've got in the film and it's 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 mental. Yeah, so the bycatch is probably the biggest thing that we bring up to people because it's what they care about. Um a lot of the sharks they catch are non-lethal species that aren't implicated with attacks on humans. Obviously, sharks that don't have teeth. Um, the turtles, the dolphins. I've read, I've seen the the catch reports as well, and you see times where an entire pod of dolphins will hit a net at once and just be wiped out. So you can't target cull sharks without affecting other animals, and that's quite clear when you look at this catch data and i think that that's something that they definitely don't want the general public to see or understand yeah and and the imagery of it is so powerful and um you know this film is part of sharing that imagery we're going to do more after the film uh we're, we're definitely going to distribute stills uh on on maybe some billboards in some popular places and some other bits and pieces but but what's in the film is crazy like you're talking about a, a, a we're talking about a completely wrapped up and drowned minky whale left on the sea floor to die um a dolphin dead uh in a net another dolphin with a drumline hook a baby dolphin that's that's obviously swum past been playing around got a drumline hook in its gut so it's gut hooked and its mum's desperately trying to push it to the surface to to breathe it's um it is horrifying. It's really, really, really bad stuff. And Maddie's right. In in a lot of cases, for you know, non uh, non shark people, non conservation people, that's what cuts through. Uh, you can you can talk about thirteen thousand tiger sharks dying in Queensland alone, and, and you might get a shrug of the shoulders. But if you show a mum 
uh, a mother dolphin trying to help its help its baby up to the surface to 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 breathe while it's hooked in the shark control equipment um that's a different story yeah 100 percent. and then again back to what you guys said earlier is that connection with like the filmmaking and everything is exposing this and it's like even just looking at instagram or, or facebook social media so much of it is kind of fluffy it's nice it's pretty and maddie you're good at this too you're just like here's a picture of a marketplace with a bunch of dead sharks and like Honestly, I think we need more of the ugly reality behind a lot of different issues. This one for sure, because it'll wake people up. It's easy to be like, oh, well, it's a shark. It's got teeth and I have a three-year-old and I don't want my three-year-old to get bit. You see that picture, you, it, you make, it incites one type of response from a family, but another one of like, oh, actually 30 meters outside of that, there's a drowned baby dolphin. That's a totally different thing. So what you guys are doing is basically bringing that up you know, and out into the world. Um, I was just going to say another important thing about it is is not just showing people the effect on wildlife, but really reinstating the idea that they're not effective. So, yeah, there's absolutely people out there who's thinking, oh, I've got a three-year-old and my kid surfs and I don't want them, you know, in major. And they somehow seem to think that people like myself, conservationists, are completely against that idea. And I can safely say that that's not the case. But the fact that we know just how ineffective these measures are to protect people is one of the reasons we want them gone. Because right now we're spending millions of dollars to try and cull sharks and bycatch, regardless or not, it's not working to protect people. So that should appeal to everybody, even if you hate sharks. I agree. It's kind of, um, it's A, the, the, the things that resonate with Joe Public, uh, I feel, are A, not actually protecting you. B, data suggests it might be making it more dangerous. Uh, and C, look at, you know, these beautiful dolphins and whales and turtles that we put on our tourism posters to yeah, attract visitors from overseas, uh, look at them dead, drowning, suffering, dying. Uh, that, that, that's kind of the cut through for a lot of a lot of people who might, you know, buy into that irrational fear of sharks. Right, right. So since you guys, well, actually, let me ask you this. So how long have you been at this project? Like, is it a couple of years? Like, how, how long would you say at this point? year and a half now approximately um and uh that's from uh, whole concepts pre-production all the way through to started shooting uh and and post-production through the process so um it's a relatively quickish turnaround for for a documentary uh but yeah it, it the one thing the one spanner in the works too that kind of really changed the project halfway through that that i should mention when we're talking timelines is uh, not that long after we started shooting, uh, actually, a law got passed to make it illegal to go within a 20-meter radius of shark control equipment. So, yeah, we were able to at the Which start of shooting. is basically an admission of guilt. Yeah. Yeah, pretty it's much. The biggest, it's the biggest gag gag law that I've, that I've ever seen. So, um, yeah, like early into shooting, that was a big spanner in the works because we hadn't gotten that much of our own footage of the atrocities that were going on. And then this law passed with very, very little notice, very, very little time for objection, uh, whether it was directly connected to our project. I doubt uh, there's other people that go out and highlight this sort of stuff. Uh, was it a factor? Maybe. Uh, but yeah, that law passed and that, and that changed the game. We then, we now relied on a lot of submitted footage, footage that had been uh, captured by other people over, over a period of um, about seven years. 
So yeah, we we luckily it didn't. It could have uh, had the conservation community not been so supportive. It could have actually ended the film there and then because we wouldn't have had enough enough footage. Uh, it was illegal to go and get it, and it, it could have actually yeah brought 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 it to an end there and then. It didn't. Uh, the, the the community really, every organisation, every individual that's worked on this and been out there in the past and documented this sort of stuff um, was super helpful and super forthcoming with, with everything they had. And I can't thank people enough for that because, yeah, I, I think it, it obviously kept the project going and I'm confident that we are going to assemble that in a way and tell a story in a compelling way that that will hopefully change the minds. Do you remember the old saying, if you're not mad, you're not paying attention? Well, sometimes there is so little information on a tragic activity like shark culling that there's almost nothing to pay attention to. That's exactly why Envoy is so important. The film is bringing awareness to all of us around the world about shark culling in Australia and is exactly that thing that we can pay attention to. So now that we know, how about we all do something? Dive deeper at envoyfilm.com.au and share the Envoy trailer on Facebook at envoyfilm.au. With more people paying attention, more people will be mad and more people will be willing to do something to make change happen to save sharks. Let's all be part of that together. Yeah, it's really neat. Just And I know, I think your approach, like your social media campaign, you're getting the word out actively now. And I was scanning all this last night. So kind of really seeing, like announcing the different cast members and stars, um, you know, so to speak. And Maddie's definitely one of them. But you've got some great, like an all-star cast of like marine conservationists and scientists, you know, not just in Australia, but you have like Juan Oliphant in Hawaii. So what's really cool and it just warms my heart and what gives me chills to see people all over the place coming together, you know, over this singular issue because it's that important, you know, so you're really, it seems like you're really fortunate to have such great response from people. Uh, yeah, it was a huge concern starting this project that that might not be the case, but I've been pleasantly surprised um, how, how great and how willing everyone everyone has been. Um, I think usually, you know, some conservation documentaries might be put together by, say, Sea Shepherd or by, by organisations like that. And, and then there's, when that happens, um, there might be conflicts of interest and other people can't get away get, get involved in the project i think when someone independent comes in uh and is just telling the story uh that that's yeah i, I mean that's what i'm putting it down to that that we've been able to get you know so many great people and and basically ev everyone on board um is is that you come in as that sort of independent voice uh just trying to tr with the, the message essentially uh and it's worked really well for us but um uh, yeah, I can't, I can't wait. I think I think we've got a really, really, really great cast. Um, Maddie and I have gotten to know each other well through through the project, um, and uh, I, I just hope that I can do justice to uh, their experience, what, what their work, their message. Because that, yeah, my my biggest fear is is having all these great people. Uh, get on board and then uh, not doing not doing their message justice. So that drives everything we're doing is is um, what we're going to be doing for distribution, what we're doing with with promotion pre the film. Like all of it is is just in a this this absolute desperate attempt to to get the message out there and do justice to the amazing people that have agreed to to be it from submit one clip that they had to 
generously donate their time and and uh, do interviews with us and all those sorts of things. I don't think you have to worry about that. So far, some of the stuff that Dre has done and looked into and seeked out from a research side of things, from a production, professional production side of things, are really spectacular and have not been done by the conservation community. So it's definitely great to have someone from the outside come in on the project and especially someone who is initially passionate because I speaking from experience is very easy to burn out and become discouraged. So yeah, it's definitely, this film's going to have some stuff in it that nobody's managed to put out there before. And it's going to be really amazing just in that sense alone. Yeah. Epic. I can't, I can't wait to, to see it. So the big, the kind of the, the elephant in the room of this whole thing is the government, right? So talk about your interaction with, with the government around this. I know there's like, there's the Queensland shark control program and New South Wales shark meshing and bather protection program. I mean, it's like these, you know, fine, whatever they're called, but you guys have interacted with these folks. So what's their reaction, Dre, to what you guys are trying to do here? My, my, my interaction with them has been very limited at, to be honest, which is um, get, giving them freedom of information requests, which they have to fulfill uh, to give us data or imagery or whatever it might be. Uh, and asking them to be in the film and being told no. That, that's literally the limit of my interaction with them. So I'm actually going to pass this one. Uh, I'm actually going to pass this one to Pip because she's been um, working in the space longer than what me. What are you and, talking and about? Me and the government have a great relationship. So, yeah, mine's real short. We're um, besties. Would you like to be in our film? No. Okay. <laughs> um, Did I just throw you under the bus? Sorry. Not to put you on the spot. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'll, I'll just start by saying that I was nearly arrested for possession of a protected species. And that protected species was a tiger shark over the legal length. And the reason I was nearly arrested for being in possession of it is because I watched the Western Australian fisheries kill it by shooting it in the head with a powerhead spear gun and then dumping it at sea. And we dove down and tied a rope around its tail and grabbed it because we wanted to check and see if it was pregnant. We wanted to document it. So we held it next to our boat and I was in the water with this massive dead tiger shark, which was traumatic enough. But then the WA fisheries boat, which was gigantic, came steaming over within metres of me and started documenting us, documenting the shark and told us to drop it and let it go and we didn't listen obviously we kept filming and then when we arrived back at dock they were there to seize our memory cards which I had already taken out of my camera and stuffed really far down my bra which probably wasn't the best hiding space I don't have the cleavage for that but anyway it was all I could figure out at the time um, and I wouldn't give them the footage so then it was a threat of obstruction of justice because we weren't going to hand over this footage. So just to clarify, I was nearly charged with protection of a, uh, sorry, with possession of a protected species, which they had just killed. So <laughs> I don't know. That's kind of funny if you think about it. And then in addition to that, it's just when I um, was a little bit younger, I was like looking into the fisheries a lot and trying to figure stuff out and talking to people. And I'd always be sending emails pretending to be someone that I wouldn't but they had all my emails on file. So I'd get like responses back to every single one of my emails. And I don't know, I was a cocky little shit when I was a kid. So I just try and mess with people when I was back in the day. I'm not anymore, of course. Um, <laughs> You're all grown up now. <laughs> yeah, sure. Let's go with that. 
Um, so yeah, it was a really interesting kind of relationship I've had with the people around it. And something that I will admit to that I find is a lot of people working within the shark control program sometimes don't even agree with it, but it's kind of their way to make money. And at the end of the day, it does come back to the people in power making the incorrect decisions. And they're the ones that need to answer for it. And I also did one thing where I FOI'd the government. So under the Freedom of Information Act, you have the right to obtain any documents, footage or photos that were taken by the employees that are actually working on the shark control program. So I did this when I was a little bit younger and it cost all my savings and a lot of paperwork. And they asked me to reveal my identity, but you don't have to with Freedom of Information. So I denied doing that. And I got a little bit of stuff and I actually never got a chance to use it or put it in a film. So it's something that I gave to Dre. So I'm really excited to see it in his upcoming film. Oh, wow. That's awesome. That's way, way, way cool. So, I mean, it's like this, the crew who's on the water for the government, like these guys have been, or they're operating under, under basically the orders that this doesn't get out. Nobody's supposed to know about this. I mean, for them to be like waiting for you at the dock and taking your card. I mean, they're just like, this doesn't get out. I mean, so they're operating under like super secrecy, but what do you think is behind all of it? I mean, is, is it like the calling industry, this mega billion dollar industry that you can't, they can't let fall apart because there's jobs behind, there's economy behind there, people making money off it. So I'm, my question is what's really keeping this thing going? Tourism is, is my, is my response, tourism and fear. So as long as the general, yeah, as long as the general public feels like they need protection and that that's an effective way of protecting them, it's going to continue. And nobody wants to be the politician that says, okay, I'm taking the shark nets out. And then a week later, a kid gets attacked. Nobody's going to risk that. Right, right. Ah, God. Direct jobs, direct jobs created by it are a handful. Like it's really not many. They use contractors to check the nets and set the nets and check the drum lines and set the drum lines. And, you know, it's, it's one down in Southeast Queensland or two down in Southeast Queensland. It's, it's another couple along the coast of Queensland. It's a pretty big place, a few down in New South Wales, you know, they're contractors. So they've won a contract, uh, but it's, it's a handful of jobs. Like in the scheme of things, it's, it's not that big. It's the more indirect effects, like agreeing, agreeing with Maddie's point here. It's the indirect effects that they're concerned about. It's, it's. It's the if we're not seen to be doing anything, tourists might not come. Um, which which is is wrong to me on on a lot of levels. A, I don't think they're taking into account how eco conscious a lot of tourists are these days, and that maybe uh, they'd rather not visit a place that that culls its marine life. Uh, so that they're completely disregarding that. The other thing is. This program, in a way, actually draws attention to a problem that's that's not a problem. Um, if if you're if you're running a cull and when it does get out, you're making it seem like it's so much bigger of an issue than it than it is. You, it, you're implying that there's so many of these these totally dangerous animals that we need to cull them, and, and we've been doing it for a long time, but still, occasionally someone gets bitten, so we're going to cull some more. Like you're making it seem worse worse than it actually is and uh i think a way smarter way to do it would be to be progressive to say hey we're not culling anymore but we have drones in the air that keep an eye out for sharks we subsidize personal uh personal shark deterrence that you can wear we uh at popular surf breaks we have this 
particular barrier in place that's suitable for big swells, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think there's so many better ways to do it rather than going, we're culling them, you're safe, because it just, yeah, it, it just plays into that. It just it, it plays anything, it up, basically. It's putting people into more danger because once you have this idea in your head that you're completely safe, that takes away from being alert and being educated. And the reality is, which not many shark conservationists want to admit to, but I will, is that we're never going to be safe. We interact with these animals off our coastline every day, especially here in Australia, and we need to take personal responsibility for that. We need to be educated. We need to be aware. And having a false system like the shark nets in place, giving false hope, is probably one of the most dangerous things we could do for our general public. Mm. So outside of these areas, are there other beaches or other places in Australia where who are like, kind of either have adopted alternatives to the calling, to nets and calling, or are experimenting with them? Western Australia features in our film. So, again, they had their failed cull back in 2014. Uh, they now have – there's a Western Australian company called uh, Eco Shark Barrier, I think they're called, uh, that make – barriers that are actual barriers so from from the surface uh the surface of the water to the to the seafloor uh they don't entangle anything they're hard plastic uh they work really really well in in relatively calm conditions um there's a different barrier more suited to big swells but i won't go into too much detail local councils in western australia are paying eco shark barrier to install barriers at their beaches and they're actually benefiting from it business-wise and visitor-wise because for those people out there that are that are concerned, that will drive to a beach with with a barrier or with an enclosure. So that that's something that's being done in WA that's that's actually quite progressive. Uh, and I, I think I think there's a lot to be said for that in, in in trials in New South Wales. So New South Wales have trialed drone surveillance so that they haven't replaced any nets with it or anything like that, but they've trialed it. Those beaches that trialed it again became a destination. Word got out. It's like, hey, did you know there's shark, there, there's shark drone surveillance at these beaches? People with kids make an effort to go out of their way, drive a beach or two further than they usually would to go to a beach where they're going to feel safe. So that that's some progressive stuff that is going on. Uh, at the end of the day, it's not happening fast enough. But really need to just like politicians really just need to realize that hey. If we do this right, we can actually be more of a tourist attraction rather than going, oh, if we do this wrong, we'll dissuade tourists. It's just looking at it totally, totally the wrong way. Yeah, it, there's like a, a parallel to like the ecotourism thing, right? Which is they realize the value of their species living in the water, whether it's, you know, a whale shark in Belize or whatever that is, they realize the economic value of that. and you could say the same thing might happen in the future. Hopefully when the popu population at large gets educated on this, that the places, the beaches that have the safer, the less bycatch, no bycatch, whatever that is, these alternatives, the calling it and the nets, they have, they will pull more people in, you know what I'm saying? So they get more dollars from tourism, et cetera. I mean, let's, let's hope some that, that, that could happen maybe. Yeah. I mean, hopefully we can swing a double-edged sword here, which is, which is one, uh, people are attracted to proactive measures, like real solutions, beaches that put those in place. And that by, might be the local council do, spending their own money rather than, than the, the state government doing it, uh, whose jurisdiction it actually should be. But uh, the double-edged sword of A, being attracted to proper solutions and B, being so disgusted with with culling that you stay away from those areas. Um yeah, if we can if we can swing that sword both directions, I think that's that's probably what's going to make the impact. 
So then what do you hope comes out of the movie when this thing screens and it's out in the world? What do you hope comes out of it, Andre and Maddie? I, it's a big goal. Uh, better people than me have, have tried and not succeeded up to this point, but I want to end the programs. It's that simple. Like I, I wouldn't put the time and effort and resources into a project like this uh, to achieve anything less than that. So it might not happen immediately, uh, but that's what I'd like to happen, full stop, period. Uh, I mean, WA shows us that enough public outrage can end it, uh, can end a, a culling program. It, it happened over there. And I'd, I'd like to see... Queensland and New South Wales go under the radar a little bit because they're because they're established programs. They've been around a lot longer, whereas WA was new and and novel, and the world was up in up in arms. I would like to see the same reaction when they see the truth of this program, which is actually a more barbaric and more harmful program than the WA trial ever was. I would hope that once Australia, ideally the world, sees that that there's an equal or greater amount of outrage and. We can end this thing. It's as simple as that. It's a big goal, uh, but that yeah, being honest, that's I'll be disappointed with anything less than that. Mm. That's awesome. I love that. I think for me, <laughs> I never really think about the end goals for these types of things. I just do it anyway, um, and hope that it goes somewhere. And I always just think it would be so amazing to target someone as opposed to what I've usually been doing, which is preaching to the converted and to just raise that awareness amongst, you know, an older gentleman living in the Gold Coast community that goes to the beach every day and just make them see something and question something. Because the biggest issue in our society these days is not the injustices occurring, but the fact that people don't question them and then don't proceed to do anything about them. And this is something that needs questioning. This is a totally disgusting, barbaric, archaic and ineffective method of taxpayer money to do something that does not help. And until people start realizing that and speaking up against it, it's never going to change. So I would really hope that this film has the impact of reaching some people that it would otherwise not reach. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. That was one of my big fears is, 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 is just having it seen by people who already know about it and already believe it. So a lot of our distribution strategy, a lot of our PR strategy, a lot of our marketing strategy is about uh, getting it in front of not those people, getting in front of people who who, who aren't aware. So um, yeah, I, I, that that happens. You know that that's common with with conservation films, and um, you know it might happen here, but we're going to do everything in our power to make sure it doesn't. We, we're going to make do everything in our power to make sure it gets seen by the mum with three kids, or the older gentleman, or whoever it is who's who's completely unaware of this topic. And obviously, making that happen it requires obviously getting it out there, but also making an engaging film that people are going to speak about. So that's what we've tried to do. It's awesome. I mean, the time is right. I mean, look, people are so much more receptive with, you know, the, the, the teens of, of today who are much more open to this, right. Who are much more aware because there's so much more information, the social media, they see this stuff, right. When I was a kid, when I was a teenager, my kid's age, 30 years ago, I'm dating myself. I had no idea, right? It was like Jacques Cousteau on Sunday nights. And that was kind of it in books in the library. There was, I didn't know what was going on anywhere. You know, now my point is, is that the time is really good because there's such this new generation who really care about this stuff, want to care about it, might not know about it until somebody like you guys puts a lot of effort into really exposing this. So then when 
do we think when when do you plan for this to come out uh, and and be, be be public the movie? So there'll be there'll be a little bit more uh, there'll be a little bit more clarity, I guess, uh, on what I'm about to say. If you go check out our socials once this once this episode's out, but as at right now, it's a little bit grey with with uh, coronavirus stuff going on. So the plan had been for a uh, June five premiere uh, on the Gold Coast, uh, right on the border between New South Wales and Queensland, and uh, get stars of the film along, get public along, get politicians hopefully along whether they'd show up or not probably a different a different story and then a digital release soon thereafter that premiere is probably knowing not going to be possible uh so that that that's more than likely not going to happen we haven't fully uh fully cancelled it yet or committed to cancelling it yet i should say but within the next week i think it's going to be clear that that cannot proceed we'll cancel that distribution wise uh we had uh, we had a plan on the digital platforms it was going to be on. Having said that, some larger streaming services uh, have expressed some interest recently because obviously with everything that's going on, they're desperate for content at the moment and no productions to create content can run. Uh, so so um, hopefully, fingers crossed, there might be a little bit of serendipity behind this and, and we can get it on a major major streaming service. Uh, if not, it'll be available for, for online viewing. But uh, yeah, I, I guess that's, that's obviously quite grey, quite vague. I would just say check out our socials and by the time this is out, there'll probably be a lot more clarity behind that. Yeah, awesome. And then for folks listening, uh, the URL of the website is envoyfilm.com.au. From there, you can find all the social media. Sign up to be on the newsletter so you're updated. I'll put these links in the show notes as well and blast it out over social media. And then when the and stay in touch, Dre and Maddie as well as when this comes out, I'll do my best to you know to to blast it out there as well. And uh, I mean, I just can't wait to, to check it out. This is just so cool. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to it. And and big thank you to, to Maddie and all the other people that are in it too. Like at the end of the day, all we're trying to just do is shine a spotlight on people who are already doing incredible work in this space. That, that's that's all this film is. So, um, uh, yeah, I just uh, I cannot say enough how much it's, you know, it's, it's not – it's about the issue and it's about the – amazing people that dedicate their life life to stopping this sort of stuff i'm just a I'm just a dude with a camera who's who's trying to trying to bring a little <laughs> bit of transparency to the program but um yeah hopefully hopefully it uh creates some change heck yeah it's awesome well you guys thank you so much and maddie um as mentioned I, we're gonna have another podcast episode with you diving into what you're doing out in indonesia uh, so for folks listening, get ready to hear the full story of Maddie and everything. But to both of you, thank you for your efforts and energy, passion, dedication, uh, balls, you name it for what you're doing because it's just it's just awesome. So thank you so much for being here and sharing your time today with all of us. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Josh. All right. Cheers, you guys. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to another podcast episode. Can't do it without you. If you like what you heard, would really appreciate you sharing the podcast with people you know who might enjoy the stories that we hear and the guests we have on. And of course, even better, reduce plastic, do something good for the ocean and for each other. Thanks again. We'll catch you on the next episode.